This is The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, The Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Hello out there in Michigan Radio Land and all you political junkies who are clustered around the old-fashioned crystal set waiting to hear the latest from the state capitol in Lansing. And I got to tell you, this is an historic uh, weekend, it looks like, and an historic week because it appears that auto insurance rate reform uh, legislation has been approved by the legislature. It's on Governor Whitmer's desk. In fact, You know, by the time uh, you hear this, she may have already signed it, (laughs) kind of like overnight, uh, because this was a uh, slow and yet fast-developing story at the very end. This week, uh, the legislative leaders on the Republican side, the majority in the House, uh, headed by Speaker Lee Chatfield and in the Senate by Senator Mike Shirky, huddled with the governor trying to hammer out some kind of language on auto insurance rate reform, which has been sought by successive legislatures and governors over four decades uh, to be acceptable to the governor to sign. And it appears uh, they have uh, passed it, struck a deal. Uh, It's going to happen. And uh, the question is, why? How did it happen now, maybe? Uh, I think the biggest factor at the very end may have been the threatened petition drive by uh, Dan Gilbert, who is the Quicken Loans multimillionaire mogul in Detroit, uh, who said if Governor Whitmer and the legislature do not agree on auto insurance rate reform real quick, I am going to mount a petition drive to put this issue on the ballot um, in 2020, uh, and it's going to have language in this petition that pretty much mirrors what the Republican-controlled legislature already has passed. And guess what? If Dan Gilbert was able to collect the necessary number of signatures and present it as an initiative petition to the legislature, All that has to happen is a majority of members of the House and Senate have to approve it without the governor's signature being needed. And if that's the case, uh, Governor Whitmer has no role in the process. So realizing uh, if you're Governor Whitmer that, you know, this thing is probably going to happen and I better get on board and uh, try and hammer out something that's more acceptable to me and to Democrats uh, in general, including many in the legislature, uh, I'm going to be left out in the cold. Democrats are going to be left out in the cold, so I've got to make a deal. So I think that's what happened in the 11th hour. Uh, More about that later, and we may hear from a legislator in real time as the session was unfolding uh, and what was happening uh, just as they were getting ready to vote on this. On Friday, and by the way, the legislature agreed to meet Friday morning uh, in a rare Friday morning session that was not a carryover from the previous day. Sometimes in the past few years, I think everybody knows they have met on 
some kind of uh, controversial legislation or they're rushing to meet a budget deadline and they have met all day Thursday and uh, up into the evening hours and then it uh, trickles past midnight into the next day Friday. So that's happened several times, not often, half a dozen times at most in the last half dozen years. But this is the first session scheduled for a Friday morning, freestanding, not connected to anything that happened yesterday because nothing really happened on Thursday in the Michigan legislature. So they scheduled a special session on Friday morning to get the deal done on auto insurance rate reform. Uh, More about that later, but there were some other things going on this week. Uh, Justin Amash, the congressman uh, from the 3rd Congressional District, uh, Western Michigan, Grand Rapids base, uh, announced that he had read the entirety of the Mueller report uh, on Donald Trump, and he claims he's the only member of the entire Congress who's done that, and he says, Going through that report, I found numerous instances of what I would describe as impeachable offenses having been committed by the president. So the committee process that's been set up in the U.S. House of Representatives investigating Donald Trump should go forward in his opinion. And let's see where it leads. If it leads to impeachment proceedings in the House, he's saying so be it. Well, of course, This provoked outrage from the Republican Party, uh, particularly from Donald Trump himself, who tweeted about Justin Amash and called him a lightweight and a loser and uh, denounced him. And it also brought forth a challenge to Justin Amash from a sitting state representative, and that is uh, James Lauer of Montcalm County. Uh, who said, I am challenging uh, Justin Amash for the Republican nomination for Congress next year. I will not run again for the uh, State House of Representatives, which James Lauer could do if he wanted to, but he says, I'm going to pass that up. I'm committed to running against Justin Amash. So that's going on. Also, uh, State Representative Larry Inman, who I think everybody knows has been the subject of a grand jury indictment for Uh, allegations of bribery uh, on his vote on repealing the prevailing wage law last year. Uh, Those charges are still hanging over Representative Larry Inman, a Republican of Traverse City. He has said, I will not resign. Uh, The House has taken action against him. Uh, The Speaker uh, removed him from all his committees. Uh, He took away his office staff. Uh, The House of Representatives are staffing Representative Inman's office uh, right now. And then uh, this week, uh, the entire Republican caucus in the House kicked Larry Inman out of their caucus. Now, he's still a member of the House. He has not been expelled. He has not resigned, but he's no longer a member of their caucus. Uh, He has not been seen in the Capitol all this week, uh, so we don't know what is going to happen next. Uh, A poll came out this week um, by dental research firm, which said uh, that a majority of Michigan voters, 55 percent, are opposed to impeaching President Trump. 
uh, 38% support impeaching him, but a majority says we oppose impeaching President Trump. However, uh, if you stack Donald Trump up against a generic Democrat, it could be anybody. It could be Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders or lesser known and less popular Democrats like Elizabeth Warren or Pete Buttigieg or Kamala Harris or Cory Booker or whoever. There are like 23 candidates running for the Democratic nomination. Stack Donald Trump up against any one of those Democrats, and Donald Trump loses by 10 points, 48% to 38%. So I think the headline on the poll should probably be Michigan's Voters do not want Trump impeached, but they don't want him reelected either. Uh, We also have an opinion again this week from Attorney General Dana Nessel on petition language that was reformed, improved, or some would say uh, vitiated last session in the lame duck in December, uh, which makes it a little tougher to collect petition signatures. Um, And she ruled that provisions in this law, certain of them were unconstitutional, uh, particularly provisions that said no more than 15% of the signatures on any petition can come from a single congressional district. So there's more to that story. We can talk about it later. We'll be back in a minute with our first guest to talk, we hope, about Justin Amash and his fight for re-election. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We are back, and we are very lucky to get... uh, very well-known pollster in Michigan, Steve Mitchell, head of Mitchell Research and Communications. Uh, He's been a busy man uh, running all over Michigan, uh, from Oakland County to Grand Rapids to Lansing and points in between because in addition to all his other duties, responsibilities, and joys of polling, he is also, I believe, a campaign consultant for State Representative Jim Lauer, a uh, Republican now of Greenville, uh, who has announced he's going to run against U.S. Representative Justin Amash of the 3rd Congressional District in West Michigan. Steve Mitchell, welcome to the Political Insider. It's always great to be with you, Bill. Okay, tell us what's going on. I mean, bring us up to speed here. Bring us up to speed on what? On the whole thing, the whole schmear. Ju- Justin Amash, uh, you know, put out some tweets and statements uh, early in the week uh, saying that he thinks that uh, having read the Mueller report, uh, President Trump has committed impeachable offenses, and obviously the president wasn't too happy to hear that. Uh, He tweeted back calling Justin Amash a lightweight and uh, a marginalized, uh, isolated congressman of no consequence, and Several uh, people uh, have expressed uh, outrage, maybe dozens, maybe thousands of Republicans. Uh, State Chair Laura Cox has, but somebody's really taken action, and that's State Representative Jim Lowry. He says, I'm challenging Justin Amash 
for the Republican primary nomination uh, in August of 2020 uh, to be the next congressman from the 3rd District. And you're, I believe, helping Jim Lauer, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be Jim's uh, campaign consultant and his pollster. And we've hired a, a crack team of uh, Washington media and direct mail and uh, digital uh, support people. Uh, we've got a great fundraiser. Those announcements will come uh, next week. Uh, but first of all, Jim decided to run not as a result of the comments that uh, Justin Amash made uh, through that whole Twitter rant last weekend. Uh, we had made up uh, our mind, or Jim had made up his mind, uh, really uh, a couple of months ago that Justin Amash was out of touch with the congressional district, uh, that his uh, votes were uh, just incompatible with uh, where a majority of that district would uh, would like to be philosophically, ideologically, and he had decided to run. And, the, and so, therefore, when that uh, when that uh, whole series of tweets came out, Jim made the decision that uh, we were going to get in right away, and, and so we hopped in the race on Monday. It was much quicker than we had anticipated. By about six weeks, we were going to get in after the 4th of July. And uh, what we did was to uh, use uh, uh, our Washington uh, folks to help arrange interviews. Uh, Jim was on Fox uh, television three or four times. He was on all of the local media, the local television stations in Grand Rapids and uh, here in Lansing, uh, radio stations in Grand Rapids and Lansing and Detroit. Uh, just this uh, incredible amount of uh, uh, media coverage because of what Justin Amash had done. Bill, we raised $51,000 in 48 hours. Wow. From 889 different uh, contributors. Uh, average a contribution of $58. So That's it was, impressive. Uh, impressive. Let, let, yeah. let, let me ask you this. Uh, Representative Lauer uh, originally was from Ionia County. Then he moved up to Montcalm County. He was elected to the state house. Um, you know, three years ago, he reelected last November. Um, and now he says, well, I'm moving to Greenville. I'm, I'm just curious, uh, that congressional district, what does it really consist of? And does he live in the congressional district now that he's moved? I know it doesn't technically or legally make any difference whether you actually live in the district to run for Congress, but maybe he feels I should live in the district. So what's going on? He does. He's, he, uh, he felt there's one township that is in his state house district. In order to continue to represent his state house district, he must live in that house district. You're absolutely correct as you are in everything, Bill, that you don't have to live in a congressional district. But there's one township within his state house district that is also in the 3rd Congressional District, and it's in Eureka Township, which is a Greenville mailing address. And so he's moving into there right now. He's... Uh, He's uh, staying with his uh, uh, aunt, and he bought a house two doors away. They're going to be closing on the house in June, and uh, so he he is uh, he's selling his own house. As a matter of fact, two people are seeing his house up in Edmore today, so he's been spending time up in Edmore getting that place uh, ready to, to to be shown because it's on the market, uh, and uh, he wants to sell that as soon as he can. So he will be uh, uh, by July one, which when we did plan to announce. Uh, uh, in his own home in the 3rd Congressional District. Wow, covering both uh, bailiwicks. That's great. Let me ask you this. Um, 
one thing that an incumbent who's challenged always likes to see is numerous challenges. If you're going to have a challenge, let it be more than one. Uh, let it not be just Jim Lauer. Let it be Jim Lauer and maybe other people. And isn't there an, somebody else who's already announced he's planning to challenge Amash? Um, and who knows? There might be other people. Is that a concern of yours? Uh, because if the opposition to Justin Amash is split up among a number of candidates, that just makes it maybe easier for Amash to survive. What do you think? Well, I think that's the general general wisdom. There is another candidate in the race named Tom Norton. Uh, I have not met him. Uh, he uh, was, I believe, a village manager and lost election for that job. Uh, he's running a couple of primaries, when, uh, one a five-way and one a six-way, and he came in fifth in the five-way and sixth in the six-way. So he's a very nice fellow, but I don't think that he poses a serious challenge uh, to Justin Amash, and I don't think he he really really represents a, a strong challenge to Jim either. Uh, you know, Jim's a very credible candidate. Uh, he's in his second term in the legislature, has done some significant things, passed some a significant uh, legislation, and I think uh, that, that that as everyone looks around, eventually they're going to realize we have a candidate here who's everything that we want. Uh, now, the, the folks in Grand Rapids don't know him as well as they should, but he's worked very carefully with the Grand Rapids Policy Council. Um, he's moving around, making uh, sure that he has 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 uh, meetings with some of the, the real key power brokers within the Grand Rapids community, because he thinks he'll do a great job representing them. And, and having known him, uh, I, I believe he will as well. I think he's going to be a great candidate, Bill. So the fact that Jim Lauer has never been elected in Grand Rapids or in Kent County, even though technically he lives nearby in Eureka Township, as you say, just outside of Greenville, is that a problem for him, do you think? Or do you think that all the people who over time have not liked Justin Amash, even before this year or this past weekend, uh, might, you know, rally around Jim Lauer and give him a heck of a lot more than 51000 They might give him millions. Well, look, we know it's going to take a million bucks to get this done, and, and we believe we can raise that. We've got a fundraiser who was able to do it uh, four years ago. So I think we're going to win this race, Bill. Hey, Steve, good luck. Um going to be exciting to watch see what happens i know jim lauer energetic ambitious guy very intelligent uh we'll see what happens thank you so much steve mitchell for giving us your insight thank you my friend always great bill you're listening to the political insider with bill ballinger on mtn here's bill we have returned, and uh, we've got uh, Representative Ben Frederick on the phone, former mayor of Owasso, now state representative in, uh, isn't it, what, the 85th District? Yes, Bill. So what is in the 85th District, Representative Ben Frederick? I mean, what constitutes the 85th District? Well, we've got some beautiful small towns and villages and farm country uh, throughout the uh, entirety of Shiawassee County. Um, with Owasso and Corona being uh, central population centers. And then I've got some townships in the south and west of Saginaw County as well, more beautiful farm country, mid-Michigan. Right. And there was an event in Owasso this past 
Monday, and you were an integral part of it. You supported it, and uh, it was the erection of a Michigan Historical Commission marker at the birthplace of the only Nobel Prize winner ever to come from Shiawassee County, and frankly, one of the very few Nobel Prize winners ever in Michigan history to be born in Michigan, brought up in Michigan, and he's been pretty much overlooked for half a century. Tell us a little bit about that event and who this man, Alfred Day Hershey, was. Well, it really was a remarkable event, Bill, and I appreciate your attendance and being a part of the project as well. But we we have the nineteen the birthplace of the nineteen sixty nine Nobel Prize winner, Alfred Day Hershey, uh, in Owasso, uh, a street like many other streets, blue collar neighborhood on Mason Street in Owasso, uh, and uh, Hershey actually was the discoverer of uh, DNA as the uh, housing of ge- the genetic uh, code of life and made many other contributions to that field in his lifetime, but was awarded the 1969 Nobel Prize. We had a fantastic dedication ceremony uh, right at the house and uh, particularly delighted that we actually had a number of school children from the local elementary uh, to learn about the type of uh, innovator and uh, leader that came right out of Owasso as an inspiration to them. Many, many, many people in the community were being uh, introduced to Alfred Day Hershey and his legacy for the first time, and that was truly exciting. Yeah, you could make a case that Alfred Day Hershey was actually the greatest scientist ever produced by the entire state of Michigan in our entire history, and he came right from Owasso, in Shiawassee County, he was born in that house at 515 East Mason Street in Owasso. He lived there the first four years of his life, and then his family, I think, moved to Lansing, and mm-hmm. he went to uh, the public school system there. Then he went to Michigan State, go green. Uh, he got his <laughs> bachelor's degree there. He got his Ph.D. there, and uh, he, he really spent the first three decades of his life in Michigan in this area of Shiawassee County, uh, East Lansing, Lansing. Uh, and then he left uh, and went out of state and really never returned to Michigan except maybe to visit occasionally. He ended up head of the uh, esteemed Cold Spring Harbor Research Laboratory on Long Island, yeah. New York. Um, and he was a giant in his field. I mean, he won numerous other awards. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, during the, his lifetime. Impl- Go ahead. The implications of his research, too, as we're seeing today. And he passed away in the 1990s, but he had already done extensive research in, in viral mutation. He had uh, discovered as a byproduct of the DNA discoveries RNA. And uh, when you think of things like um, vaccines and immunization and uh, techniques in immunotherapy that are being used to combat cancer, these all have their roots in Hershey's research. It's just truly remarkable. Yeah, there was a tremendous turnout for him, and I think it was a great event. I was astounded that even though the legislature passed a resolution back in 1969 when Alfred Day Hershey won the Nobel Prize, really nothing has been done to take notice of him in the half century since until this event this past Monday. Now, I understand we had some enterprising science teachers locally that would mention his connection to Owasso, um, but as you know, that this was the earliest we could actually do a formal state marker. You have to wait 50 years from their greatest historic achievement, so we're at that point just this year. 
um, but to actually remind people about his legacy, uh, very true what you're saying. That the, it just wasn't the awareness wasn't there, and you could just see the kids' eyes light up, and many community members, longtime community members, also as the presentation continued, saying, "My goodness, what a what a tremendous uh, presence to have come from Owasso." Absolutely. And now you were mayor of Owasso one time. Now one thing that came up at the ceremony, I was unaware of. You've got a sidewalk uh, in Owasso that's got, like, the helix design on it, right? Yeah. Is that uh, just we, a coincidence uh, or what? Because that kind of is part of what Alfred Day Hershey was all about. Well, I know we try to emphasize the fact that we have, we have actually had a great history in Owasso of entrepreneurs and innovators. And when some of the public uh, projects were being done about 10 years ago, there was discussion of a fountain and, and uh, some of the streetscaping, and so the, the helix is prominently, um, you know, presented in the sidewalks to the brick pattern, and the fountain itself is an artistic piece that shows that same design. Whether that was, uh, you know, intentional by everyone at the, at the beginning, I don't know, but I think we can certainly celebrate that now and, and offer that as, a, uh, you know, intertwined with our city's heritage, certainly. Okay, one uh, shifting gears um, I just want to ask very quickly, we're almost out of time here in this segment. Um, your colleague, uh, State Representative Larry Inman, has been expelled from the Republican caucus in the House. He refuses to resign after being indicted by a grand jury for bribery. Uh, what is going on there? Uh, his staff has been removed by the Speaker. What do you think? Well, I, I think he needs to resign, obviously. I think um, there's, there's a number of voices per, trying to prevail upon him to do that, but I don't think any, any method's been you know, taken off the table to affect that. He cannot um, adequately or effectively serve the people of the greater Grand Traverse area with all these things going on, and he needs to concentrate on, on that. So uh, I certainly would like to see his resignation. Uh, this week, I don't think he showed up at all on the House floor uh, until maybe Friday. Uh, do you think he was there uh, for the vote? This is an historic vote. I mean, he was part of a session, has been part of a session dealing with auto insurance rate reform. Has anybody seen him? Uh, yeah, I, I can't say whether he, he would or not, but I, I don't have an expectation necessarily. He's not been present in town this week. Right. The big thing, of course, is auto insurance rate reform, and, you know, I just want to ask you about that, and we can continue on talking about that, but I explained at the beginning of the program before we got you on the air the negotiations between Governor Whitmer and the legislative majority Republican leaders, Speaker Lee Chatfield and Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky, what came out of that that it appears uh, has made the deal that probably uh, Governor Whitmer is going to be signing if she hasn't already? Well, it still has to be acted upon by the legislature and sent to her desk. But uh, it's the speaking about broad, you know, broad agreement and concept uh, with intensive drafting happening on a balanced approach that would bring uh, choice into the mix as far as options for drivers, um, required rollback and in insurance rates, which would guarantee savings, and then some of the concerns that were brought up uh, by the Democratic members as well having to do with 
um, you know, factors that go into how rates are calculated, whether it be zip code or other items. I know those are things that the governor was negotiating uh, on. And uh, we have we had word just recently that uh, they've struck a deal. Now, that's an extremely significant event that's been eluding the town and the state for decades. So uh, we're all pouring over things at, at the moment. But uh, I fully expect that given all the sides are saying we have a deal, you're going to see a quick action on it. Yeah, I think maybe the House and Senate Democrats feel like they've been cut out of the loop a little bit. Uh, because it's really been Governor Gretchen Whitmer negotiating with the Republicans. And whatever she agrees to, uh, I think, you know, that's what's going to count from the Democratic side. Uh, We are out of time in this segment. Uh, We're going to take a short break, but we'll be back with Representative Ben Frederick, Republican of Owasso. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back with Representative Ben Frederick, Republican of Owasso, uh, right in the middle of an historic vote on auto insurance rate reform. Um, what do you think, Representative Frederick, that Gretchen Whitmer, the governor, got out of her negotiations with the House and Senate Uh, particularly after she had announced uh, that the bill that uh, was passed by both the House and Senate just a couple of weeks ago, she would veto uh, that legislation. And now uh, she's indicated uh, she's going to sign a negotiated agreement with the Republican-controlled House and Senate leaders. So what did she get out of this? What's different now from two weeks ago? Well, I can, I can speak to some of the things that she had made very clear that she was looking at the negotiations. She had reference wanting to see um, some, some more certainty of some kind on the rate rollback that people would receive, some type of assurance that uh, some of the choice options wouldn't leave people completely you know, bare for coverage. So probably some bolstering of options there um, had talked about the need to some of the medical providers that are asked to provide the coverage. Um, in addition to the rating factors which are used to determine risk assessment and looking at some of those to for some additional exclusions. Uh, I know in particular had mentioned things like credit score and zip code. So that's that was our expectation as the negotiation uh, continued and those those uh, those representations have been consistent throughout. So that's what I would expect to see. Do you think that the announcement by Quicken Loans um, mogul multimillionaire Dan Gilbert that he was going to mount a petition drive to address auto insurance rate reform if the governor and legislature did not agree on something. Was that a prime mover here in the last week, uh, nudging the governor toward making a deal with the Republicans, do you think? Or was that maybe not as big a factor as some people are contending? Yeah, I, you know, I actually looked at that as more of a reflection of, of, harsh reality. This has touched, this issue is touching every part of the state, whether rural, urban, suburban, every political background, you know, whether Democrat, independent, Republican, there has been a a chorus cry of of the rates being too high. These rates need to be reduced. I'm paying more for my insurance than rent, or I can't afford to uh, have a car for my job. And I think that that public sentiment is captured in the idea of a ballot 
drive, saying, look, let's, let's get the work done through the legislative process versus the time and expense and delay of going through a statewide ballot initiative, um, which, you know, there's no guarantee what that even is structured like. So for me as a legislator, and emphasize the necessity of getting this done on behalf of the state now. And I think that did inform the negotiations that these, this is a serious moment in time and we need to get this right and get it done, get it done through this process. Uh, uh, and that's, that's necessary to remind uh, us all of, I think. Let me just mention one curveball that might be thrown into this whole process, and that is, uh, first of all, is there going to be an appropriation in this legislation? Because remember, uh, Governor Whitmer has said she will veto any legislation that has an appropriation in it, which would bar it being the subject of a referendum. And the trial lawyers have indicated they're not happy with this agreement that you've come up with. They could go the petition route to call for a referendum on the legislation that you're agreeing to right now with the governor, and that would freeze the effectiveness of the new law. It could not go into effect until people vote on it in November of 2020. Uh, Would the governor then decide, you know what, uh, I'm not going to exercise my veto. <laughs> you know, what's going on there? Well, I, yeah, first of all, I wouldn't expect an appropriation to be in the bill, uh, but I think it's a dangerous game to play. People in the public eye are, are, are feeling the intensity of their constituents saying, we want relief now, and we want to play games back and forth. Now, I'm, I'm as much of a supporter as anyone in ensuring uh, medical care to those who've been catastrophically injured. But as I said on the floor of the House during this initial debate, what good is the best medical benefit in the country if you can't afford it, if our people can't afford it? And we've reached such a boiling point of sentiment that I think if the trial attorneys or others want to try to delay this or move something forward that actually represents a compromise between a Democratic governor and a, le- and a Republican legislature that does promise relief, they'll play a dangerous game in doing so. Okay, let's turn the page to uh, a piece of legislation near and dear to your heart. You are the prime sponsor, Snow Days legislation. (laughs) Will you explain? I I know it's not winter anymore. There's no snow, although it's pretty darn cold out there, and we're wondering if uh, spring or summer has arrived. But isn't that going to have some effect coming up here uh, in the next few days and weeks? Yes, we, uh, you know, a very fair question was asked by a local teacher of mine after the extraordinary winter we had. Should uh, days during which the state is under a state of emergency, including state government being shut down and services being shut down and people uh, being encouraged to stay in their home, should those types of circumstances be counted against the allotment of days that schools are granted for snow days? Because in some parts of our state, in my part in mid-Michigan, we were up to the mid-teens, some part of northern Michigan, you're talking low 20s on total closure days, well beyond the allotted uh, nine potential days that uh, schools are allowed. I thought that was a fair question, and I put a bill in uh, simply stating that if the governor has declared a state of emergency, that that day is forgiven, which would allow our students not to be, uh, in effect, trapped in hot classrooms going into mid-late June um, and all the you know, the problems that that creates. Remembering from my own time in school, and maybe you have the same recollection, you have a diminished return as you go deeper into the summer. You know, it's hot, kids aren't attentive, and uh, it just seemed to make sense that we can do things through 
additional homework and technology integration to make sure that the goals are met academically while still being sensible to the fact that we've just had an extraordinary winter this year. Right. So in other words, uh, the nine days uh, that exist without your snow day legislation, that means that up to nine days uh, are missed by schools because of inclement weather. They don't have to be made up? That's correct, yes. And now, you know, more than that could be. I mean, it could be yeah, three or four more days. Yeah, the final version of the bill allows for four days to be forgiven. So a lot of schools are still going to have extra time added onto their calendar. My home district has a handful of extra days. But we're not talking about going into the teens, you know, or, or deep into deeper into June um, than necessary. Yeah, so right now, when do kids in uh, Owasso get out of school? Right now, we say. Uh, the the 4th is the last day for uh, kids. It was going to be the 28th, I believe, of this month, uh, but it's going to be the 4th of June. And uh, some other districts in the area, it's the 7th. Okay. Well, look, what are your co- committees and what else are you interested in in legislation? I mean, we've talked about auto insurance rate reform, which kind of sucked all the oxygen out of the room yeah. uh, in snow days. But what else? Well, uh, my committees have tended toward uh, some type of a workforce component, so I, I continue to work on measures that would encourage uh, expansion of skilled trades opportunities and integration of workplace-based education in the primary school system. I, have, I do have the bipartisan initiative on, uh, called ReConnect, which would allow adult learners uh, access back into the educational system to kind of complete a credential or a degree. Uh, I'm also uh, uh, very involved with economic development programs. So I have the uh, bill that would restore the uh, state historic income tax credit for the renovation of uh, uh, historic buildings that are cultural treasures, but, you know, that there's uh, additional costs involved with historic restoration. And then uh, I'm also involved with uh, the healthcare side of things where we need more uh, providers in our in our senior facilities, nursing homes, and so on. So allowing for a mid-level provider in those facilities to assist nurses with uh, some of the duties involved as our population ages. So it's been a very wide committee brief and uh, been very grateful for the opportunity to dive in on a lot of those issues. So what about the governor's prime issue that we haven't heard much about recently, fix the damn roads and her proposal to hike the state gasoline tax 45 cents a gallon? What is likely, if anything, to happen on that this spring and summer? Well, as you know, the the public sentiment toward the 45-cent gas tax is very, very poor. Um, I think people are tired of having the first solution thrown out be another tax increase. People do remember that a tax increase occurred a handful of years ago that has not yet even fully been implemented. And as I speak to uh, individuals involved with the road maintenance and road repair, so look, you can throw as much money as you want if you want to pay two or three times for the jobs uh, because the scarcity of road workers and the fact that we have uh, you know a year or more already out in our bidding calendar. So I'm interested, coming from my local government background, on asset management and on warranties and on ensuring that we're stretching every dollar to where it needs to go. I'd like to see more of the dollars go to the local and county jurisdictions versus the state and ensure as this is implemented more fully that we get the best value for the dollar. But I, I do think you're going to see efforts to try to use existing funding within the budget to further bump the number for transportation funds right. overall. Listen, thank you so much, Representative Ben Frederick. We keep on going. There's a lot to talk about. You've done a great job of explaining things under very difficult circumstances. Thank you. 
Representative Ben Frederick, Republican of Owasso. Thank you, Bill.